0: Well, this is, um, I think, week six. It's all starting to become a blur. Um, week six, six, session four of this week. So I got one more tonight. Um, my wife texted me this morning. She goes, so how are you doing? And I was like, I'm exhausted. Um, it, it is catching up with me teaching this five times a week. Um, but it's, uh, I'm having a blast studying it. I'm still studying it. So you Even uh, during the week, I'm working on next week's, and uh, one of the things that's been fascinating, and you've probably noticed this as you've um, sat through these and you've done your homework, if you've done your homework, um, how much time we've been spending in the Old Testament. You know, when I started this, I thought, well, sanctification, that's a New Testament topic, because it's all about growth in Christ's likeness, and... Christ came in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Of course, he was predicted, prophesied uh, in the Old Testament. But I thought we'd spend most of our time in the New Testament. And we're going to be spending a lot of time in the New Testament. But as you've seen, once again, if you did your homework, we're now in um, the Old Testament again. And we're going to be there this morning in the book of Leviticus. Um, Leviticus is one of those books of the Bible that when you're Reading through the Bible, if you ever make a plan to read through the Bible, January rolls around, you're going to do the godly thing, the good thing, and you're going to read the Bible. You start in Genesis, and you make it through Genesis because it's got a lot of incredible stories. And you get to Exodus, and that's a great story and lots of miracles and wonders. And then you get Leviticus, and you start to bog down, right? It's like, what in the world is this all about? And you just skip it. You know, you just, you conveniently skip it and God will understand. Um, and then you get to the next book and you start working around. There's just certain books in the Bible, Leviticus being one of them that we get to and we begin to wonder, why did I ever decide to read through the Bible? Well, Leviticus is an incredible book because it's all about holiness, which ties directly into what? Sanctification, because it's all about holiness, and so we see a lot in the book of Leviticus, and we'll, we'll be particularly in chapter 10, looking at God's holiness and how um, highly he prioritizes his holiness and how we should. But as we, as we dig into it this morning, you know, the, the, this, this whole series is called Sinner and Saint for a reason, and it's because those are the two designations that we find in Scripture about us, that we are sinners But because of Jesus Christ and placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we become saints. The problem is we gravitate towards one over the other. We are more comfortable thinking of ourselves as a sinner rather than a saint. And that's the whole purpose behind this this series is to get us out of that mindset. And yet, when we think of those two words, both sinner and saint, we tie them directly to behavior, our character, the stuff we do. And Which is what we talked about last week when we dug into chapter 3 of Colossians, that quintessential pastor or passage on sanctification. It's all about behavior. It's all about the stuff you do or the stuff you don't do, the stuff you leave out, the stuff you add to your life. And so we saw in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, put off, put off the bad stuff, put off all the stuff. And he gave us this incredible list that we read and we go, gosh, I got a lot of work to do. You know, the sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Get rid of all that stuff. Put it off. Just get rid of it. And then he gives us the list of what to replace it with, what to put on. And it's the good stuff. Compassionate hearts, kindness, gentleness, self-control. He, he basically gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He, he tells us to put on this, take off that. And as I said last week, we, what we do is we take that and we turn it into this real simplistic formula. Less bad stuff, more good stuff equals godliness. But as A.W. Pink said, that's goodliness. It's not godliness. It doesn't make you godly. It's not what makes you righteous. Adding a lot of good stuff to your life, behavioral change, behavioral mod- modification does not make you godly. And that's what we're going to find out when we look at Leviticus chapter 10 this morning. So is good stuff all God really wants from you? No. Does he want good stuff from you? Yes. But it's not all he wants from you. Uh, again, as I said last week, God doesn't look down from heaven and in the morning and just, man, I can't wait to see all the good stuff that Ken's going to do today. I know this is going to be a good day for him. I just know he's got it in him. He's, you know, he's going to gut it up. He's going to really, for once in his life, he's going to do some good stuff. That's not how this works. Does he expect good stuff? Yes. But that's not all he desires. Good deeds are not enough. But see, we are wired, you and I are wired for what? Performance. We've been raised, trained to perform. Whether it's, you know, in sports, school, uh, we're measured, we're graded on everything. You know, my my son uh, has been texting me because he's he's at Harvard. He's in his freshman year at Harvard. And he's an older freshman because he spent five years in the Marines. And so he's kind of, he goes, you know, everybody here looks like they're 14. Well, they probably are. Um, they're just really smart and, but he's now having to learn to study again. And he's, you know, taking all these classes at a, at a prestigious school and he's kind of overwhelmed and, you know, he's learning that he's got to perform because all these kids he's with are high, high motivated, competitive fight for everything. They want to be the top of their class. And he just wants to survive. Uh, he just wants to get out, but we're wired for performance. But goodliness is not the same as godliness, again, as A.W. Pink said. And we looked at that last week. So what do we do? Well, in chapter 10 of Leviticus, we we have this really interesting story. And if you did the homework, you saw it. And it's it's a disturbing story about these two guys named Nadab and Abihu. They're the sons of Aaron. But if we look at verse 8 and verse 10 of chapter 10 of Leviticus... God is speaking through Moses to their father, Aaron. He's the high priest. Now keep in mind, he's been designated the high priest by who? God. Moses didn't choose him. God did. God set him apart, sanctified him, consecrated him as the high priest. And he comes to him with some words. This is after something has just happened, something pretty significant. And he says to Aaron, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common. Okay? Okay. Two different things, the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. That's your job. That's your priority. And Ezekiel chapter 44, God spoke to the uh, priests, and he says, this is what you're to do. You're to, on behalf of the people, distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you're to teach it to the people. So this is pretty important. This is what God has to say to Aaron. So you have these four things, the holy and the clean, the common and the unclean. Now, those equal marks do not mean they're equal. So to be holy and clean is not the same thing, but they are closely associated. In other words, you can be clean and not necessarily holy. But you can't be holy and unclean. That's not how this works. So you have these four things, and God is telling... Aaron the high priest, after something has just happened, pretty significant, that directly affected him, he says, you are to distinguish between these things. So let's take a look at them. What are they? Well, the word holy has to do with... Sanctification. It's, it comes from the same word we've looked at before, Kadesh, and it's, it's Kodesh, and it means holy, set apart, consecrated, separated. It's something God has done. God has taken something and He separated it apart and said, This is now holy. This belongs to me. It is separated unto me. So Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, Nadab and Abihu, as priests, were supposed to distinguish that which was holy. And it comes from that word that's all over the Old Testament, kadash, which means to set apart, to consecrate, to sanctify. And guess what? Only God can do that. Only God can sanctify something and make it holy. I can set apart all kinds of stuff for all kinds of reasons, but it doesn't make it holy. See, God is the only one who can set apart and make something holy. Well, what is is the clean? What does that have to do with anything? Well, it's a Hebrew word that has pretty deep meaning, as most Hebrew words do, and it has to do with not just physical purity and cleanliness, but ethical and moral purity. And that was really important to God. It was really important that the priests be clean and pure. You know, their garments had to be clean and pure. Their lives had to be clean and pure. They couldn't offer sacrifices until their sins were atoned for. Cleanliness, purity, morally, ethically was very important to God. And it's the exact opposite of something being polluted or dirty. So he says, you're to separate between the holy, the common, the clean, and the unclean. Well, What's the common? Well, this particular Hebrew word literally means that which is common, ordinary. And by extension, it means unholy. Now, I hear that word and I think, well, evil. Not necessarily It just means not set apart. It has not been set apart by God. It it is not something God has deemed as his for a special purpose. So by virtue of that, everything out there is technically common. Everyone you work with who's outside of Christ is common. Your neighbor who is outside of Christ, doesn't have a relationship with Christ, is common. Your children who have not yet come to faith in Christ are common. You before coming to faith in Christ were common. And so it's this idea of everything that is not sanctified, that has not been set apart, is common. It's, it can have once been set apart... But now it's not. So let me give you an example of what that might look like, at least in this day and age. If I was a priest and my job was to make offerings, go into the tabernacle and make offerings on behalf of the people. And one day I walked in and I saw sitting there in the tabernacle a laver, a bowl that was set apart for sacrificial purposes. And I thought, hey, this weekend my wife's having a dinner party and she needs a punch bowl. So, I'm going to borrow this labor, this bowl that is set apart by God for the use of sacrifice on behalf of the people, and I'm going to borrow it, I'm going to repurpose it just for a weekend. And I'm going to take the bowl home and I'm going to use it as a punch bowl. What have I done to that item? I have taken what God has deemed holy and I have made it common. I have desanctified it, I have profaned it. Now, think about it it's just a bowl. It's just a bowl, but I have decided on my whim to take what God has deemed holy and use it for something common. And in doing so, I have taken the holy and made it common. I've taken the clean and made it unclean. I have used it for the wrong purpose. I didn't use it for something evil. I just used it for something inappropriate unacceptable, not what God had intended. That's what all of this is about as we go into this story. The common is just that which has either not been set apart or once was set apart and it's become common again. God didn't make it that way. Man did. So it's common because it's unconsecrated. It is unset apart. And here's the deal. What was consecrated can become unconsecrated. What God has deemed holy can become unconsecrated unholy. Now, one of the things I want to make really clear this morning, and in saying that to you, there is no way that you and I as believers in Christ can lose our holiness. We cannot lose our salvation. That is not what this is teaching. But we can take what God has deemed as holy and set apart and use it for unset apart, unsanctified, unconsecrated purposes. And that's really what the whole story is all about. The holy can become common again. And we are really comfortable with doing that because we don't truly believe that we are holy. We don't really believe that we are special in God's eyes. We see ourselves as common. We are much more comfortable with thinking of ourselves as what? Sinners, not saints. So when we sin, we just go, well, that's just who I am. Boys will be boys. Boys. No, you're taking what is holy and consecrated and set apart by God and using it for unholy, unconsecrated purposes, maybe even decent purposes, good purposes, but they are not what God set you apart to do. So what's the unclean? Well, that one should be pretty clear, right? It's the opposite of clean. It's polluted. It's dirty, but it has much more to do with that which is ethically and morally impure. Again... He's juxtaposing things. That's why he's using the word, you've got to distinguish between these things. It is something that is defiled, polluted. So you can have something that is common that is clean. You can also have something that is common that becomes unclean, polluted, infamous, uh, bad reputation. And again, we, we know what this looks like because we do it in our own lives. We become unclean. We, do certain things but this all goes back to this issue of is it all about behavior is it just do less good bad things and more good things avoid this stuff do these things is that what this is all about those things are important but is that the bottom line see he says to Aaron the high priest you are to distinguish You are to set apart. You're to make a difference. And so let's look at what that word means in the Hebrew. It literally means to set apart. It's another word for the same meaning to set apart, to distinguish between one or another of two things and recognize the difference between the two common, holy, clean, unclean, to make a distinction. Now, here's, here's what I've gotten out of this study after teaching it four times and studying it for weeks and weeks now is that I am really bad about blurring the line between those things, the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean. And we do it in very subtle ways, and we don't always notice that we're doing it, but we do it. We fail to make a distinction between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean. And I'll give you an example from my life. This is from years ago when I was a deacon here in the church, and I was much younger, and a group of us decided to go and see a movie together. Now, I don't even remember what the movie was. All I know, it was kind of a spy flick, and it was rated R. And my wife and I had kind of made an agreement that we weren't going to go see R-rated movies, but... All these guys, we all went to the same church, this church. We were all on the same deacon board, the deacon board of this church, and we all wanted to go see this movie. And I knew I shouldn't go see this movie. I didn't tell my wife I was going to go see that movie. I just said, we're going to the movies. Because if I told her, she'd go, isn't that rated R? Didn't we agree that we weren't going to go see rated So I didn't tell her. We went. And the whole time we're in the movie, I'm thinking, as I buy the ticket, as I sit in the seat, as the movie starts, I'm thinking, I should not be here. I should not be here. And then it starts going through my mind, what if somebody from the church is in this movie and they see the five of us deacons sitting on this row? And then I thought, well, they shouldn't be here either. <laughs> Who are you to judge me? <laughs> but I could not get comfortable watching this movie. And then, and then the, the sex scene started, and I'm like, I should not be in this movie. Well, I just won't look. You know, so I'd, I'd look away. And then I thought, you know, God, I, just, I just need to leave. I just need to get up and leave. No, gosh, that, that, it'll be awkward, and you'll make these guys feel bad, and so, you know, don't judge them. And So I just sat there, and I hated every stinking minute, minute of it. And finally it's over. We walk out. We're all in the parking lot. We're walking to our car, and it's like dead silent. And it's like nobody wants to say anything. Finally one guy goes, man, that was awkward. I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, I, 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 want, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there either. And then the third guy goes, I didn't want to be there either. The fourth guy goes, I wanted to get out. I mean, why didn't any of us get up and get out? Because we had blurred the line. We had just, who's going to, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to judge anybody. I don't want to make a scene. And we blur the line between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the common. And we treat these vessels that God has filled with his Holy Spirit. And we do things with them that God never intended for us to do. Now, this is not an indictment on the movies you go and see. That's between you and God as far as I'm concerned. But it is hopefully helping you to understand that God takes this stuff really seriously. And he tells Aaron, you as a priest, I've told you this before, you were to distinguish, make distinction between these things, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of the people. Because guess what, Aaron? If you as the high priest don't do it, how in the world are they supposed to do it? And I look out at it, a whole group of guys, many of whom are fathers, and I think if you don't know how to distinguish the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean, how in the heck are your kids supposed to do it with everything coming at them in a world that is so confused about everything from gender to you name it? How are they supposed to know if we don't know? See, we're to make a distinction. And I love this definition. It's a very simplistic definition, but look at what it says. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. So if you boil it all down, you and I are to function a certain way. We have been set apart by God to function in a certain way, in a certain capacity, according to a set of standards, all of which come from him, not me, not from the society. We are to to properly function. So if you're not functioning properly... As a father, a husband, a man, an employer, an employee, according to God's standards, for someone who has been set apart by God, there's a problem with that. You're failing to distinguish. See, Aaron and his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, were to operate according to God's design, not their own. He's the one who set them apart. They were to function according to his will, his ways, not their own. But isn't it easy to suddenly fall back into what you want to do? how you want to do it, when you want to do it. You ever had God you know, whisper in your ear and say, hey, I want you to do X? And you go, yeah, 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 okay, fine, I'll get to it. And you never get to it. Or you go, okay, yeah, that's fine, but I, I, I don't want to do it that way. Now, you never say that directly to God. If you do, good luck with that. Um, but you think it, which is just as bad because he knows our thoughts. And we just do things according to our way. But see, if you're going to function according to the way God deemed you, designed you, set you apart, you will do things his way, not your way. Which again brings us back to this story. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, that comes right before verse 8 that we saw just a second ago. What what happened to these two guys? This is a fascinating story. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, their priests... Each took his censer, because he's a priest, and a censer is just this little bowl that they would put coal in, put incense on top of, and it brought a sweet aroma. They put fire on it, and they laid incense on it, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. He smoked them. He he kills them. They died before the Lord. Now, I don't know what these guys did, but I I don't want to do it. Whatever they did, I don't want to do. Now, here's the problem. This text, no matter how hard you study, it tells you exactly what they did. And see, because I'm performance-based and I'm wired for behavior, tell me what I'm supposed to do, tell me what I'm not supposed to do, that frustrates me because I'm thinking I still don't know what they did. How do I not do what they did so God doesn't smoke me? Because I don't want to get smoked. See, all it says is they offered unauthorized fire. Well, what the heck is that? What did they do? And I think it's interesting that God doesn't tell us what they did because we tend to go, well, then I won't do that. But see, the problem wasn't necessarily what they did. It's why they did it. What was the motivation behind their actions? And see, I don't like to spend a whole lot of time thinking about my motivations because that's uncomfortable. But see, God's all about the heart. God's all about what drives you to do what you do. So let's look at this word. It says, they authored unauthorized fire. It literally means strange fire. Well, that doesn't help me at all. W- what's strange fire? Well, let's look at the different translations, how this gets translated. NIV, it's profane fire. Again, doesn't help me. NIV, ESV, unauthorized fire. NRSV, unholy fire. And then the NLT, which tries to make it in language we can understand, says it's a different kind of fire. (laughs) Uh, That that clears it up, you know. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't offer offer a different kind of fire. I still don't know what it is. See, here's, here's the bottom line. As far as I can tell from this passage, what God is trying to get us to understand is that they were trying to do God's will their way. Remember, they're priests. They're offering incense. They're doing what they were designed to do, but they're doing it in a way that makes God pretty angry because he smokes them. He, He consumes them with fire. But see, God's very precise. He's very precise about how he expects things to be done. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 16. It says, He, Aaron, shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so they do- he doesn't die. See so God's pretty pretty clear about how he wants things done. Now, Nadab and Abihu, according to verse one and two of chapter ten of Leviticus, were doing something they were supposed to do. They were offering incense before the Lord, but he killed them. Well, there's something going on here. What is it they did? Well, look at Exodus chapter 30. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it, the altar of incense. You shall not offer unauthorized incense. Now there are some commentators who say, well, that's what they did. They used the wrong brand of incense. <laughs> they, they took liberties But he goes on and says, don't offer a burnt offering, don't offer a grain offering, you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. The altar of incense is used for only incense and a particular incense. Now, this is really fascinating to me. Exodus chapter 30, take sweet spices, stacte, onica, galbanum. I don't even know what these things are. I don't have a clue. But he says, take those things, sweet spices with pure frankincense, Each of equal part and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. It shall be sanctified. It shall be consecrated for you. It shall be special, distinguished, set apart. See, God's giving them a recipe for the incense. Think about that. How particular is God? Very particular to the point that he gives them a specific recipe. Then he warns them, and the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. In other words, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, none of the priests could walk in there, make this recipe, and then go, Man, this smells great. My wife would love this. I'm going to bottle this and I'm going to sell it on eBay. What would happen? God would kill him. God would snuff him out. You may think, well, that's, that's, that's harsh. Well, see, God takes this stuff seriously. It's to be holy to the Lord. It was set apart for him, for his use, for one purpose only. And whoever makes any like it to use his perfume shall be cut off from his people. And that almost always in the Old Testament means he'll be smoked. He will be killed, not just kicked out of the camp, not just sent to the outer reaches of the, of the nation of Israel. No, he shall be killed for doing it. Why? Because these things, even the incense shall be holy to the Lord. Treated as holy. Distinguish between what I have said is holy and what is common. See the difference. See, even the incense was holy. Nadab and Abihu were holy. They had been set apart by God. Their garments were Holy. They belonged to God. Their job was to do the things that God had called them to do. And it appears from verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10 that they were, but there was something missing in their actions, their behavior, their activity. And I think it has a whole lot to do with their heart. So what does God do? God cuts them off. God kills them. God takes them. He smokes them. And then in verse 3, look at what it says. This is God speaking. He's just killed Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. And listen to what he says. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Either you do it or I'll do it. You will do what I called you to do. You will function properly as I have deemed proper functioning. I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. I'm going to read you this from Ezekiel chapter 36. You don't have to turn there, but it starts in verse 16. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. When the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman and her menstrual impurity. That's pretty graphic. That's how bad it is. They profane my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. He, he had to kick them out of their land, his land because they had not kept their promises. But he says, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations to which they came. And then he says, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. Does God take this stuff seriously? You bet he does. And you can't say, well, that's Old Testament. He's the same God then. He's the same God now. He cares about his name. He cares about what's holy. And he says to you, just like he did to Aaron, I will be sanctified. I will be set apart. I will be glorified. I will, if you won't, I will. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of this process, not left out of it. I want God to be sanctified through my life. I want God to be glorified through my life. And that's what sanctification is all about. But we've got to go back and understand that we are set apart. We are different. We're not common. And these two guys had failed to distinguish between the holy and the common. What did they do? I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is that they did, but it's the heart behind what they did. They had lost the distinctiveness. They they had blurred the lines, and we do it every day with our lives. See, they had offered fire, which they were supposed to do, but they offered it in the wrong way, the wrong kind of fire, strange fire, profane fire, unauthorized fire, unacceptable fire. It wasn't the way God wanted it done. They tried to do God's will, but not God's way. And it becomes profane. Just like we read in Ezekiel chapter 36. Their lives, the people of Israel, see, because these guys didn't differentiate, what ended up happening is that Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and all the other priests over the years, over the centuries, never taught the people to differentiate between the common and the holy, the clean and the unclean. And the people of Israel spiraled down, and they got worse and worse until God sent them into captivity They, those two men, were tainted by sin. They were to be pure. They were to be holy. They were to be set apart. But they brought their sin into the tabernacle, their uncleanliness, their commonness, and God had to take them out. And then he, in verse 8 and verse 10, reminds their father, they're dead. You're not. You're to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean. Now, I love this from Paul. You know, Paul, Paul takes us centuries later. He takes us into the New Testament, and he gives Timothy this kind of an illustration of this concept in a way that you and I should be able to understand. He says, in a large house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. He's talking on human terms, natural terms. He says, in your house, my house, we've got gold and silver utensils, and then we've got wood and clay, plastic. Tupperware. Isn't that normal? Isn't that natural? Some indeed are for honorable use, others are for common use. Now, in my home, probably like your home, we have a china cabinet. It sits in our dining room and it never gets touched, right? It's a bizarre concept to me. Full of dishes, beautiful dishes. And my wife takes great pride in those beautiful dishes that we use maybe once a year for a special occasion. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and they sit there gathering dust and they mean a lot to her because they were given to her from her mother and they used to belong to her grandmother. They're heirlooms. Um, If I walked in there one day and took one of those bowls that we never use and I took it into the garage to change the oil in my car, (laughs) what would my wife's reaction be? I'm thinking castration. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking she would not be a happy camper. Can't, I can't believe I just said that. This is the one, this is the one that gets taped. Um, my wife would be royally upset. No matter how much I justified it, she would be upset because I took what is very, very special to her of high value and I used it for a common use. I could justify it. Well, honey, it's, you know, we only use it once a year. I'll clean it. No, it's the principle of the thing. I took what was special and I used it for something unspecial. I denigrated it. I profaned it. See, Paul picks this up in Romans. He says, does not the potter, speaking of God, have the right to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for special occasions and another for common use? Now, this this is a verse that makes a a lot of us uncomfortable, or at least a lot of Christians uncomfortable, because built into this is the idea that God sanctifies some, but not others. He sets apart some, but not others. There are some who remain common. There are some who are sanctified, set apart, holy, consecrated to God. And if you think about it, isn't that not true? Do you not work with people who are not yet saved, who are not in Christ, who have not been set apart, and they are common and God has the right to make both? But what we do is we blur the lines. God looks down and he sees two distinct groups of people we look around and we just, uh, you know, they're not that different. He's a good guy. He, he's, you know, he's, he's good to his wife. He's good to his kids. And he may be, he may be better to his wife and kids than you are to yours. But God sees them as different. And he's, he's trying to paint this picture of guys, we got to distinguish. We got to see the difference and we need to live differently. We need to live as who we're called to be, which does impact my behavior and your behavior. But there's a huge difference between being holy and behaving. There's a huge difference. But see, when I read this verse in 1 Peter, and I've always struggled with this verse, because what I hear through my natural, normal human ears is, can you gotta be holy? And I think about all those times, my mom would come to me and go, can you not be good for one minute? Have you ever heard your mom say that when you were a kid? I heard it regularly. And if it wasn't that, it was the extension of that. Can you not be like your sister? Now, why would she say that? Because my sister was always good in her eyes. She was the favorite. Uh, And so I would hear my mom say that and say, okay, I got to change my behavior and be what she expects me to be, what I'm obviously not being. So I read this verse and I think the same thing. God's saying, be holy because I'm holy. You need to get your proverbial act together, Ken. And you get to get busy. And what I do is I misconstrue doing with what? Being. I got to do certain things in order to be what he's called me to be. It's all on me. Be holy, because guess what, Ken? I'm holy. I'm the standard. Why can't you get your act together? Why can't you be what I called you to be? Why don't you do righteous things like I called you to do? And it all becomes about me trying to keep up with God. And that's the way many of us live our lives. And what we've done is we've confused activity, good, godly activity, with ontology. Ontology just means your essence. Who are you? At the end of the day, who are you? You're a child of God you're a son of the king, you are righteous, you're redeemed, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, you've been sanctified, you've been set apart, that's your identity, that's who you are, live like it. So when he says be holy, he's not saying become what you're not, he's saying be what you already are, live it out. And what's really interesting, if you go back, and and I want to go back and see what does the word behave, where does it come from? Because we are so driven by behavior. It means to conduct or comport yourself in a certain way, behave a certain way, be good. But it comes from an old English word, Bahaban. And look at what it means. It means to contain. In other words, your behavior flows out of what's in you. You know, doesn't the Bible talk about that? That it all flows from the heart. It doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. In other words, I don't find a list of things to do and go do those things so that it will then transform my heart. No, my heart emanates in certain behaviors. It comes out. That's why you can fake it only for so long. It has to do with containing something. Guess what? You contain something. What is it you contain? You contain the Holy Spirit of God. So your being is just being who you already are. It's, it's not a, 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 an idea of you becoming something. It's you living out what you already are, not what you hope to be. And I've spent way too many years of my adult life trying to be something on some list that usually somebody else has created. Not God, but the church, some, some religious organization. This is what a real Christian looks like. And we've all grown up in different denominations with different backgrounds, and the, it, but it all turns into some legalistic list of rules that you need to keep. But see, I contain, have within me the Spirit of God, and I am to let that out. I'm to let the river of living water flow out of me to those around me because I'm already holy. I don't need to become more holy. I don't need to become more righteous. I don't need to earn brownie points with God. I don't need to do certain things on a list to make him love me. He already loves me. How much does he love me? He sent his son to die for me. He has redeemed me. If I die today, I'll go to be with him. If you die today, you go to be with him if you're in Christ. So I don't have to become something. I need to live out what I already am. So when Paul tells the Philippians, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, he is not saying get busy doing stuff that will make you more like Christ. It literally means live your lives as as a citizen. Live out of the reality of who you are. Well, where are you a citizen? You're a citizen of heaven. If you take the original Greek and you just put it in the order in which the words naturally flow, it says, only as it becometh the gospel of Christ, let your citizenship be. Live out of your identity. What's your identity? You are a child of the kingdom of God. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's why Paul tells the Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are in Christ and you are raised with him and you're, you're as good as seated next to him right now, keep seeking the things above. Get your mind on the right things. Get your focus on the right things. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about the things above. We read these verses and we just go, I don't even know what that looks like. But it's a lot easier than we make it. See, I, I told you my nightmare week of last week and with my AC going out of my car, my AC going out of my house, and then I joked around and said, they, these things always come in threes. Well, it happened. You know, my, I was driving home from a Tuesday night Bible study last week, and I ended up with a flat. And if that's not bad enough, it was a hole in the sidewall, which they can't fix. So I got to buy a new tire. So that was my third shoe to drop. Um, I was not a happy camper. I was not happy about those things. And I started thinking about the things of this earth, the money, the aggravation, the cost, the frustration. And I stopped thinking about who I am in Christ, my identity in Christ, that all of this is going to pass away. It doesn't really matter. These things, the things of this earth, I need to hold them loosely. I need to have my eyes focused on the right thing I need to live as a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of this earth. See, I need to view myself as holy and not common. I need to view you as holy and not common. I need to see you as a citizen of heaven and not of this earth. But we dwell in and we focus on and we fixate on this earth way too much. And see, I want to be pure for the right reason. I want to be clean for the right reason. I want it to be a priority because it reflects my identity. It doesn't make me who I am. It reflects who I am. That's why Paul says, put off all that stuff. That's not who you are. You don't live like that anymore. See, impurity doesn't alter my identity. If I do the wrong thing, like last week, I got mad, I cussed a few times, I got angry, I shook my fist at God, that did not alter my identity. I'm still a child of God, a son of the King, an heir of all that belongs to Jesus Christ. It's mine I have a place reserved for me in heaven, but it does defame the integrity of God. That's what we need to focus on. See, God says, I will be sanctified. I will be glorified. I will protect the integrity of my name. I choose to do it through you, Ken, Bill, Bob, Larry, whatever your name is. I choose to do it through you. But bottom line is, I will be glorified. I will be sanctified. So live, Ken, as who you are. Live out your identity Don't live like you used to be. Put off all that old stuff, that old way of life. And just real quickly, I put these verses in your notes, but look how many times Paul told the Christians that he wrote to in the first century to forget about who they used to be. He says, such were some of you to the Corinthians, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. That's not who you are anymore. He goes on and says, when you were pagans, you were led astray. You're no longer pagans. You're no longer common. You're no longer that person anymore. He says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. You used to be, but you're not anymore. That's not your identity. He says, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, common, normal, ordinary, unsanctified, unset apart. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, but you're not anymore you don't have to anymore. You have a power that you didn't used to have. You are now, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, with all the power you need to live the godly life. So live as who you are. Look at verse 3 again from Leviticus 10. God says to Aaron, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. His two sons have just been killed by God. And he tells Aaron, who's still living, mourning, weeping over the loss of his sons, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. See, he had set apart this man and his sons to do one thing and one thing only. Sanctify him and glorify him. Not live common lives, not do things their will in their way according to their will. God's glorified when I I let his Holy Spirit do in me what only he can do. He's not impressed with my efforts. He's not impressed with your efforts. So here's your questions. Why is it so dangerous to view ourselves as though those who are common trying to become holy? And let's face it, we do it every day. It's how we're wired. But why is that so dangerous? What does that do to our testimony? What does that convey to those around us who are not in Christ? Maybe those who are less mature in Christ. Secondly, what are some ways in which we can be guilty of trying to do God's will but not according to his ways? How does this impair our walk but also do damage to his integrity? The integrity of his name. And then finally, what do you think it means to live as a citizen of heaven? What could that look like in your life today, at home, at work, wherever you go? How could you live with your eyes focused on the things above? This is not an ethereal thing where you just sit around belly button gazing. You're always in the Bible. You're always praying. You don't talk to people. You go up on a mountaintop. That's not what this is. But how do we live with our eyes set on the things above as we walk below? Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for your word. Thank you for holiness, that it's something that you created. You set us apart. You give us a job. You created us for a purpose. Father, forgive us for when we repurpose ourselves for selfish reasons and do with these bodies, with these hands, with these minds, these eyes, these feet, what we want to do. And then we think it ought to bring glory to you, but it only brings glory to us. Lord, would you help us to understand how seriously you take holiness? that we are no longer common, we're set apart, we're distinct, we're different, we're yours, we're your children, we're your heirs, we're your priests, your royal possession, a holy priesthood. May we live like it. May it flow out of us because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.